everyone, and welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. It's the week of April 19th, 2021, and I'm here today at the Boulder Group Hedo with pro mechanic Zach Edwards. Zach, how's it going? It's going well. You look busy in here. Very busy. I'm, I, was, I was telling Zach earlier when I walked in that I'm, I'm pretty sure I have never seen this many bikes in his shop. Um, yeah, it's, oh, that's a nice, that's a really nice looking kid's bike over there. Look at that thing. Oh yeah, Maxis on it. Wow. Really? 24-inch <laughs> dual suspension kids bike with, with SRAM Axis. I think carbon wheels as well. Oh, that's so bolder. Yep. Anyway, uh, <laughs> also joining us all the way here from Sydney, Australia, is our resident tool nerd, Dave Rome. Hi, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. I've had a few weeks off, so I'm back on the grind now. A few weeks? I thought you were only off for like a, like a week. Uh, it felt like a few weeks. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I will say it felt like it felt like a few weeks to me too, because like it 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 certainly had. There's certainly more things for me to do. Um, sitting out this episode, however, is our editor in chief, Kaylee Fretz, who is currently on paternity leave. Uh, he, Kaylee and Megan just had a baby. Congratulations to them. Uh, and, and he will be on leave basically until he can figure out how to change diapers without getting poop on his fingers. So we'll see how long that is. Hopefully, he's not using a hammer. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't go well. Oh, no, that would not go well. Nerf hammer? Nerf hammer? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, we have a great show for you today, as always, with lots of tech news to talk about. Uh, and one of my favorite kinds of what bike should I buy segments, one with a quote-unquote very flexible budget. Let's get into it. All right, first up, pretty big news. SRAM unveiled its new Rival Axis wireless electronic group set. Uh, it's actually pretty reasonably priced. It's about 1600 bucks US with a power meter. Uh, however, it's also quite heavy at about 3,100 grams, a full kilogram heavier than the old SRAM Red 22 HRD disc brake uh, mechanical group set. So fans of electronic shifting will see this as a positive uh, because in terms of shifting performance, it really is, it's identical to, to force axis and red axis. Um, and while some people are still upset about the whole disc brake versus rim brake thing, I mean, think, think it's safe to say that that ship has sailed at this point. Um, but with no mechanical drivetrain updates officially on the horizon, we've gotten quite a few messages from readers and listeners questioning SRAM's decision to really go all in on wireless, or at least that's what they seem to be doing. Do we think this is a good idea? Because at least among the three of us, I think, I think it's safe to say we're all pretty big fans of SRAM's mechanical road group sets. Yeah. I mean, I'm pro-mechanical, but I also, electronics is good, and I understand why it's good, and I understand why they're doing this. But I think, especially for this price point, I would, for myself, I would rather have it be cheaper and lighter and work just as well. Like, yeah. what, are, what is the electronic? What is it? What is it gaining you? I mean, at the, at, at the like, what is this? Like, three, four thousand dollar price point road I, bike? I think it's more like four to five, somewhere around there. I probably, you know, that, that specialized ethos that comes with this stuff is like 4,800. So that's probably about the top end as far as what, what this stuff is going to come on. So my guess is going to be, you know, probably 3,500 or so to 5,000, depending on, yeah. on the brand. Um, and, and obviously SRAM is making this bet that more people who are looking at a bike in that price range are going to be more wowed by the, you know, kind of like the, the performance and the whole like biz, biz thing of electronic shifting, than they will, the idea of saving, you know, it, it would ultimately be, ultimately be probably what, like a half kilo or so, or so, which would be, what, about a pound? Um, and I, you'd have to think that SRAM has, has data to support their decision on this. I, I am not privy to that data. Um, but I just don't, I don't really know what I think about that sort of thing. I mean, is, is it the sort of thing where SRAM, at least, I mean, we can't say this about Shimano right now, but you know, is it the sort of thing where SRAM is sort of forcing people now into electronic shifting at that price point since they really no longer support a high-end mechanical group set at that same price point. Yeah, I think this is something that we've discussed before, but it's it's not necessarily that they're forcing people, but I mean, their hand was forced because they they basically, um, I guess, failed to really penetrate into the market with their mechanical group sets. You know, they they spent years banging that drum, and they they've didn't... also not updated that stuff though in like eight years. No, but that that's that's a symptom of the fact that uh, Shimano just smash them in the market right like there there was a time where where shram pushed really really heavily in terms of sponsorships and in terms of gaining um oem positioning 
and then it lasted a year or two and then basically all the brands just returned to shimano again and and pushed shram out of the market so i think i kind of feel like shram's hand's been forced here and that they've they've realized that they're not going to win the battle in the mechanical group sets and that they have to they have to disrupt <laughs> and that's just what they do right yeah, it's sad because it's it's pushing price points up, but it's also at the same time it's it's letting SRAM have a competitive product. I think like for myself, if I was buying a bike in this price point, I would rather have the cheaper group set of a mechanical. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because it's like, oh, this is more pure or whatever. But like I whatever that price difference is, I would rather have that and nicer wheels. Yeah. Like that's gonna improve the ride quality way more. I agree. Versus yeah. having shifting the maybe shifts like slightly more consistently or yep. you don't have to put new cables on once a year yep i agree but uh, unfortunately that's in in the world of of bikes it's uh it doesn't necessarily always sell the bikes for brands right no, like people like, don't look sure. at the wheels people are, right people are gonna buy this stuff yeah you know like often it's consumer choices that lead to a product that might be inferior to one that you know emphasizes better wheels and you know a nicer cockpit over a, over a cheaper drivetrain but end of the day that doesn't sell Right, because ultimately, I mean, SRAM and, and Shimano, for that matter, I mean, they're driven primarily by OEM sales. So it's it's really mostly a matter of whatever their OEM customers are asking for, right? Yeah. So if, again, like I said earlier, I'm not privy to whatever sort of data SRAM is looking at, but I know in pretty, you know, really not that long ago at all, I think they told me that their split between disc brake and rim brake purchases was something like 90-10. Mm. And so as much as people are clamoring for you know, for rim brake bikes, the reality is people aren't buying them. Yeah. Right. So I guess the question now at this point is if this is the bet that SRAM is making, it seems to indicate that at those higher price points, because you know, like, let's, let's get real. I mean, at four or $5,000, like, like a lot of people at, it, in our, in our world, we consider that, you know, mid range or whatever, but for the vast majority of people, that's a crap ton of money. Yeah. So if you're spending a ridiculous amount of money in your opinion for a bike, and you're looking at something that shifts with some steel cable that's connected between the shifter and the droiler versus something that's got a bunch of microchips and batteries and motors and makes a cool, fun sound when you push the button, you're probably going to go fun toward... Fun sound the, is the stupidest selling feature. But it, but it works. When you're out riding on the road, you can't hear that because you have the wind. Did you see Shram's uh, response to a comment on their, with their release of this? Oh, I think it was sorry. on in- so Instagram. Good. Oh, their, their social media game is strong right now. Yeah, the customer was basically like, you know... Uh, why would why would I get the new ETAP when or the new Axis when the mechanical group set is substantially lighter, cheaper, and works perfectly well? And Shram's response was, "This one goes beep boop." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, but that it's true. Like as much as you can kind of poke fun at it, I mean, it, yeah. you you have to think like SRAM isn't just you know making some random guess here. Like you have to think that they have data that shows that this is what people are going to be interested in buying. I, what what I sincerely hope, however, is that, you know, I, I obviously, I mean, we're all, the three of us are fans of mechanical shifting um, because we are, we're all able to make it work. Um, and we all, we're all able to recognize when it needs service and like, you know, kind of like how to, you know, turn a barrel adjuster half, half a turn or and what that does. But it's also just kind of a bummer that, that SRAM seemingly is no longer giving SRAM customers anyway, that choice around that price point. Um, I mean, I keep asking SRAM if they're going to come out with a high-end mechanical version um, or just kind of like revise Red and Force. And no they, it just seems so unlikely at this point. They really do seem all in on the whole Axis thing because, I mean, they're they're doing it on road and mountain. Yep. You know, they just released that GX Eagle Axis stuff and they're just going more and more, you know, they're, they're just going further and further into this whole Axis thing. Yeah, a key a key thing for this to, to also consider is... Uh the bikes that they're going on, right? More and more bicycle makers and designers and brands are uh, are moving to making mechanical cables extremely difficult to use. Um, you know, like the trend, there's a very clear trend that, that brake hoses are going through headsets, right? Like that's happening across all mountain bikes. It's starting to happen on e-bikes. It's it's absolutely happening on all sorts of road bikes. Uh, and and SRAM's lowering of, uh, lowering the price point of, of its wireless sort of, makes that technology more accessible and yeah i guess brands are, are going to continually go down that path even though there's issues of it that we really don't like um that's a big trend driving this move as well and and mechanical shifting is just kind of getting in the way of that for for these brands 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, I someone actually commented. I think it might have been on the on the access article that that we posted on on um, on cyclingtips.com. But someone somewhere had a comment, sort of drawing this an, uh, analogy between watches, for example, like you know a really high end expensive mechanical watch is not as good or not as useful or whatever as like an Apple watch or something like that. Um, but the, the Apple watch and stuff like that are, you know, that's what people are buying in mass, mass numbers. Mm -hmm. And you can still get those nice mechanical watches if you want one, yeah. but it's become this sort of boutique thing. And in a conversation that I had with SRAM when, when the, you know, right before Axis was being launched, you know, I, I asked them about that whole thing and they did actually pretty much tacitly admit that, they are okay leaving that sort of high-end watch market to, say, Campagnolo. And it didn't sound yeah. like they were entirely confident that they could be the company to pull off that position. I mean, I think, like, even more so than watches, like, I'm not, I guess I should preface this, I'm not really a watch guy. But, like, to me, it's even more like a manual transmission in the car. It's yeah, like, exactly. it's not, maybe not as fast, not as efficient, not as modern as all the latest automatic stuff, but it's like, it's this feeling. And, you know, like more tactile thing rather than just clicking essentially clicking a mouse button to shift yeah that's why i like mechanical shifting yeah, yeah. james the point you just brought up is really interesting because um i think this is from a marketing point of view i think this is campagnolo's um point of difference moving forward you know i think this is how they're going to survive in this market is they're going to be the boutique offering that that offers that high-end mechanical group set while everyone else potentially doesn't so right um you know, it's, yeah, I think they will continue to be the brand that enthusiasts look to that want that that traditional feeling bike, that want that rim brake bike or want that mechanical shifting. Campagnolo will rule that market moving forward. And what's interesting too is that Campagnolo, actually, I mean, they, they've had electronic shifting for a pretty long time now. really get but, rid of it. It's really bad. Well, but that's the thing. Like, you know, they, they've had electronic shifting for a, for a really long time and they've been just kind of remarkably unsuccessful at it. I mean, yeah. for, there've been reasons for that, sure, but um, I mean, but it's so expensive. It's, for one. it's incredibly yeah. expensive. But but what what is super interesting now with how everything is kind of fleshing out with this whole mechanical and electronic thing, if Campagnolo does end up being kind of like the lone torchbearer for mechanical stuff, the the sad reality is that in order for Campagnolo to survive, that very likely means that their stuff is actually going to get more expensive. I would think. And kind of like more boutique-y. And it's just less volume of it. it, it there's, there's less volume. They're not going to have enough money. Like they're going to have to come up with that money for additional R&D work somewhere. And it's if it's not going to come from volume, it needs to come from profit margin. So I mean, my dream for this is that they own this. Like we're going to make mechanical shifting, but that then they also bring back polished stuff. Like I just mm. want some polished silver parts. I yeah, want yeah, yeah, yeah. Painted black. Like own it, make it, and people will buy it. Yeah. There's and, there's and, a, there's a market for the polish stuff like Cyclo Retro in Melbourne is yeah is exactly full time job is basically polishing Campagnolo yeah, yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm looking at a bike on on Zach's wall right now that I think that's a what what is that thing which one are we looking at the the purple thing oh that's a Duarte oh it's from Colombia so it 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 it's a you know a higher end aluminum steel. frame steel frame yeah. yeah and it's got a bunch of the silver zip stuff on there it's not polished but that yeah. silver stuff looks great on that bike. And it, it, looking around at the other bikes that are in the shop right now, like it just it, pops more. It immediately stands out because of that polished silver. Yeah. I mean, I have in a box, I have a chorus 10 speed group set that's all polished. And I'm just waiting for the perfect frame to put it on. Oh. And it's mm. going to be so good. Oh, interesting. Nice. All right. Well, moving on, speaking about mechanical shifting and sort of the, the trends that we were seeing on modern bikes these days. Uh, we re recently also saw the debut of Cervelo's Aspero 5, the kind of the, the higher end version of the existing uh, Aspero gravel bike. It's now about 100 grams lighter in the frame, and it's got an integrated front end with fully internal cable routing, basically what you'd expect. Um, you know, generally speaking, no one really complains when a bike is lighter, um, as long as you don't make a whole bunch of sacrifices in the process. But I, I posted a little rant on Twitter the other day, kind of about the, the hassles of fully internal routing. And the responses were pretty interesting, to say the least. I mean, yes, fully internal routing is an absolute pain in the ass in terms of servicing. We also have to remember that we are very much in the minority in the sense that, you know, we work on a lot more bikes and a lot more often than any typical consumer out there. So what I am wondering is, you know, while 
fully internal routing is certainly much more hassle in a lot of ways. Does that even matter to average consumers who probably aren't going to be working on this stuff anyway? Definitely not. I agree. I think this is really dumb, though. Like, I I am okay with fully hidden internal cables for road bikes, like where aerodynamics actually make a difference. When you have some 40 millimeter tires on your bike and you're riding on a gravel road with probably a t-shirt on and a handlebar bag, like who cares? Like, <laughs> What if it's an aero handlebar bag? Yeah. Make it a triangle. It'll just slice right through the wind. But it's like, especially a gravel bike or mountain bikes even more so. It's like you just, it's going to get beat and it's going to get abused and there's going to be dirt and stuff. And like that stuff needs serviced way more regularly than on a road bike. And it's, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like there's, there's no advantage like on a road bike, the aerodynamic bit, like I totally get. And people want to save three watts because their cables are hidden away. And it, it save, does look cool. Save the watts. Yeah. And it looks fine. Yeah. But like on a gravel bike, this just doesn't make any yeah. sense to me at all. I mean, so in, in Cervelo's theory, I guess, or in their reasoning for this is that they've built this, the Aspero with racing in mind. So their point of view is that aero matters in any racing discipline and that it matters here. But reality of you know going back to just what james just mentioned is most importantly it looks cool yeah and like people will buy it for sure yeah but to me it makes no sense yeah. well so zach from your perspective as you know the, the lone proprietor of a service shop you know whether or not someone is going to be working on this stuff at home i would have to imagine if someone comes in and says like oh yeah my my headset bearings kind of roach i need that replaced or like you know i need a derailleur cable and housing swap or whatever i mean that has to cost a lot more for them doesn't well, yeah. it yeah i mean let's say you have this gravel bike that needs a headset service or you need new bearings or whatever and like usually that would be like i don't know 20 minutes to pull the fork out clean things and pop new bearings in and now it's like okay in addition to the bearings it's going to take easily twice as long you're probably going to need some new brake hoses so then like let's say 40 dollars a piece for a brake hose like all of a sudden you're spending a couple hundred dollars for something that should be like 50 dollars and like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it's impractical. To well, me. and I, and I guess it would also, it would also kind of limit how much work you can accomplish in a day. Right. Yeah, totally. Or like, like the, that's the other thing with these bikes too. Like it's for racing. Let's say you're at a race and you have an issue. The neutral mechanic at the race cannot work on your bicycle before your race starts because it takes way too long. He doesn't have all the tools and you're not going to do this under a tent at a race. Like, yeah, it's just not practical. I think, or like you like to travel with the bike good luck without using like the massive Sycon case where the handlebars don't come off. Yeah, actually. And I, I had a friend who, who had posted on their, I, th I think she had posted on her Instagram account or something. You know, she had just gone on a trip with her tri bike and, um, and came back and you know, the airline had of course trashed the bag. It's a soft sided bag. And it is, it is one of those bags when the handlebars don't come off, but she doesn't really have any options because yeah, of all the internal rotting. Like you can't, take anything apart but like on a tt bike that makes sense because like you're trying to save every watt for a time trial sure but on a gravel bike i don't it, yeah i just don't get it yeah it looks I mean, cool it, it, but yeah it, yeah <laughs> it looks cool yeah it, it, that's like the only thing really and particularly cool. if we're talking about the cervello i really don't like the their cable routing how they do it th the so they're basically with the fully internal there's two styles where the how the brake hoses and stuff go through the handlebar, come out of the backside of the bar, into the stem, and then down through the bearing, which that leaves like basically zero slack in anywhere. Or there's ones where you kind of run it along the bar or through the bar, but then it tucks in underneath the stem and then goes in. So that's the ones that tuck in under. You can still change the stem length without redoing things. You can take the bars off and there's enough slack to kind of twist them if you are traveling. It's, yeah, just w it makes way more sense. Cervelo's is kind of a hybrid of that. So uh, on the Asparo, they're actually keeping the cables outside of the bar. And then it I goes. Seen that. Yeah, well, yeah. But, but that but you still can't change a stem length without no, you can't. it being a four-hour job. You can like at least you can service some things more easily. Like you know, I guess cutting the the brake hoses and stuff. You you do have a bit more slack versus if it went through the bar. Um, right. So it is a it is easier to to service than um, one that has the hoses going through the handlebar. Still not great. So I mean, this isn't this isn't to pick specifically on Cervelo or anything because this is certainly something that we're seeing across the board from pretty much every single bike company, and it is not only just coming to gravel bikes, but it's starting to kind of creep their way into cross country mountain bikes as well, which is a very troubling 
trend. Also really dumb. Um, Especially if it's for racing, you're not going to save any watts with arrow because you're going to have a big number plate on the front of your handlebar anyways, acting as a sail. Well, no, but what if it's an arrow-shaped number plate? Like, you know, right. if you're smart, Just you like kind of curve it, it a little bit, yeah. right? And, like turn it into a fairing. Yep. Mm. Bikes. Hidden secrets. Anyway, I feel like we harp on internal cable yeah. running a lot, but it's because it's everywhere and because it's often not done I mean, very well. I still think in like five years, there's going to be this massive run of people's steer tubes just shearing in half from the brake hoses just slowly grinding away. Uh, yeah. Because that's yeah. yeah, that's an actual concern of mine. I, I mean, and, and rightly so. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I tested an IBIS. This was the first generation IBIS Ripley when I was still working for Bike Radar. And on that first generation frame where the cables were, were kind of internally routed and like, you know, fed in through the head tube and stuff like that, I actually had to send a note to to Scott Nickel at Ibis, and I and I noted this in the review as well that um, that the housing actually rubbed on the steer tube inside the frame, which eventually was just going to saw through that aluminum steer tube, and the fork was going to shear off. So what they ended up having to do was adding they, they had to add this sort of stainless steel sheath over the base of the steer tube, and that was their kind of like you know pseudo solution. Um, but carbon, I mean, this, carbon saws through a lot easier than aluminum. It, it's remarkable. Like it, it, you, you'd think that cable housing is not really that big of a deal because it's just plastic or whatever. But if you just, if you rub it along something enough, it basically just works like a saw and it doesn't take as much time as you would think. I mean, there are all sorts of pictures online of, you know, people's bottom bracket spindles getting cut in half from like a poorly routed cable or stuff like that. Like it, it does happen. So I'm not, this is, again, this is not necessarily to say that all these internal routing systems are inherently unsafe, but there is an awful lot of things to think about that are, you know, a lot of caveats that go along with routing. That's just something frame. that none of the companies have came out and like addressed. Like we're doing this to prevent this. And it's just like just a normal fork and the brake hose rubbing against it. Well, I, I, like I feel like in the mountain bike world, I mean, yes, th those aren't fully internally routed up front for the most part, but I feel like they've largely figured out a lot of the solutions for that because the better companies, what they've done, they just run, they just run molded in carbon tubes the whole way through the frames so that you stick a, you know, stick a hose or housing in one end and then it just magically pops out at the other end, which is definitely a lot nicer. I mean, it can still get kind of filled up with grit and stuff like that. It's still not foolproof, but you know, that at least ensures that nothing is rubbing against something that is not supposed to. Um, it does add some weight, but in that world, people are a lot more amenable to adding a few grams if it means a lot more, a lot more convenience or easier servicing, that sort of thing. And it, that, that sort of thing is harder to pull off on the high end road world where people are a lot more worried about kind of weight, I would say in general, except for the SRAM rival axis customers, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So anyway, just something, something to think about, something to think about. Uh, moving on in the news area, uh, we've had a couple of pretty notable, I would say, ultra high-end Carmen wheel intros lately, uh, one of which is the uh, Zip 353 NSW, which is essentially just a shallower version of the the whale wheels that originally came out in early 2018. The, those were the, the Zip 454 NSWs. Uh, and then we also have the new Campagnolo Bora Ultra WTO range, which stands for Wind Tunnel Optimized. Very clever. Uh, Dave, what is the story with the zips? Uh, zips, yeah, basically the it's the, using the the sawtooth rim profile that we saw with the four five four NSW, uh, but merging it with all the new hookless rim technology that they released with the three hundred three range. So it's now twenty five mil internal width, thirty mil external width, uh, and it just happens to be their lightest tubeless wheel to date. So it's sitting at about I think it's about thirteen hundred grams with tubeless tape and and valves for that weight yeah which is pretty good for kind of like a medium depth tubeless carbon clincher disc brake wheel set yep with a wide rim yep yeah and i mean i guess they're also what like four grand is that right yeah us yes which uh is crazy but it's also the same crazy price that the 454 nsws have always been so it's not a new price point for them Right, and considering whatever inflation's happened in the last three years, they're, they're actually cheaper now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Positivity. But, <laughs> uh, just what a bargain. <laughs> well, and then on the other side, you know, 
on the on the Campagnolo side. So with these Bora Ultra WTOs, I mean, Campagnolo, I would say historically has certainly taken kind of a, a more subtle approach to to wheel technology. I mean, the the rim shapes on these, there's, there's three different ones. It's a, what's a 33, 45, and 60 mil depth, I think. And the rims are very, very, I mean, they're virtually identical to what you have on the uh, standard Bora WTO right now. Uh, they're really not very wide. I mean, depending on the rim, they're either 19 or 21 millimeters wide internally. Uh, tube type or tubeless clincher only, no tubulars, disc brake only, kind of same as the zip and same as seemingly every wheel set that's come out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of those subtle improvements include uh, to kind of tweak the aerodynamics a little bit. Uh, Campagnolo moved the spoke nipples to inside the rim, but unlike most, I guess, unlike pretty much every internal nipple that's out there on road wheels. Um, these are still accessible externally with a special tool. Uh, so that's pretty cool. You don't have to take the tire off to true with true the wheel. Uh, and you know, you have the super smooth and durable and I guess historically very, um, very durable that the adjustable cult ceramic bearings that, that Campagnolo has. And then you have a really high, uh, really big focus on kind of finish and aesthetics. And these wheels are slightly cheaper than the zips. They're like what, 35, 85 us dollars, I think. Um, but in, in their defense, I mean, they they do look super, super nice. Like, they actually look like a really, really kind of high-end premium luxurious wheel. so nice. They are really nice. I mean, that, that whole cult bearing thing, like it's it's the real deal. Like, having 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 ridden Campagnolo wheels with those bearings for quite a while, like, they're, they're, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. And you can actually service them, too. They're not just disposable bearings. Yeah. Um, so given the different approaches that these companies have taken, I mean, Zip has clearly kind of gone with, like, the super, super tech thing, just, like, basically every bit of tech you can toss into a modern road wheel set. And then Campagnolo kind of going for more of like the, the finer things approach, I guess I would say, who do we think the respective customers are for these besides people with an awful lot of money? Yeah. I mean, the campy wheels are, they're very nice, but it's a very small group of people that like you have to have a campy customer in general that has can't be shifting on their bike, but then also... The, I mean, you can get them with Shimano and, and SRAM bodies, but... No one's doing that. No. No one's That's doing that. That's why Fulcrum like exists. Have, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you have to have the customer that already has Campy on their bike and that doesn't want zips. You're like, I like really nice things that are maybe not the fastest, but that look the best and that ride really, really well. That's the customer for those wheels. I mean, it, it seems that it was absolutely no mistake that Campagnolo... With, with the graphic treatment that they put on there. Like the, the logos are like super subtle. They're like metallic copper. Like it's, it, it's very clearly indicative of where these wheels are supposed to sit in the marketplace. Like they, like the, it's super, super subtle. Like it's just not at all in your face. Like when you're rolling along, you probably aren't even going to be able to tell what they are as opposed to these zips, which are very much like here is all the tech and it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like the real, the real racer bro isn't buying those wheels. Oh, the real racer bro is not buying either of those wheels. No, but well, like you could have a set of normal like three hundred threes and a set of four hundred fours or eight or eights for some like the same price, basically. Mm. Like, and I would think if you're actually racing, then that makes more sense to have different setups. Or you have like the cheap the three hundred three S because you can crash it and it doesn't matter. But like, I think this is just someone that likes nice things and they want to have have the flashiest, latest, greatest stuff on their bike to show up to the coffee shop. I mean, yeah. I guess in Zip's defense, I mean, having ridden those four five fours, I mean, they are pretty. They are pretty amazing. Like that does it. There does seem to be something to their claims that that kind of staggered or that uh, that kind of sawtooth profile does seem to, you know, make the wheels kind of behave a little bit more like a deeper wheel while still being really easy to handle in crosswinds. I, I think that's great. Um, but man, it is a lot of money. Yeah, I'm curious to see the new new internals for the hubs too because they redid it. Yeah, so I've seen, seen some. You, you've seen some drawings of them. Well, no, I've seen some. I've seen a number of failures of the previous cognition yep. hub. Yeah. So it'd be interesting how they've changed it. So, so what they've done is they've removed the magnets. They've gone to a spring. Um, nice. They're apparently there's 14 fewer pieces in the new hub. Uh, it's now which 54 is kind of remarkable because hubs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does it still sound like things are rattling around and broken inside? No, apparently not. And uh, yeah, it's it's. It's yeah, it's meant to be just faster engagement and actually just far easier to service and yeah, even less drag they're claiming. But yeah, mainly it's it seems to me like maybe they've been able to go this path that DT Swiss's patent has expired potentially yeah. to use a spring and make their system more like a Star Ratchet system. Um, 
yeah, but uh, I, I think it should be more reliable and, and far easier to work on and, and keep reliable than uh, the previous system. Yeah. I mean, for, for people who haven't worked on hubs regularly, to have a hub that has 14 fewer pieces, I mean, there are hubs out there that don't have 14 pieces. Yep. <laughs> it's quite amazing. So to, to have 14 yeah. fewer pieces, that's, yeah, quite astounding. Well, I saved all the weight. I, I, I guess. I yeah. didn't save something. Yeah. Um, funny that you mentioned DT Swiss. Dave, seeing mm. as how that is our next piece of tech news here, it because is. DT Swiss has been pretty busy over there as well. Um, they, uh, you know, you you mentioned the uh, the kind of Star Ratchet esque driver setup in that uh, Zip Cognition Hub. It does seem that whatever patent DT Swiss had on their Star Ratchet driver mechanism clearly has expired recently, because every single company under the sun now has a driver mechanism that is very, very similar, if not virtually identical to the DT Swiss Star Ratchet setup. Yep. Uh, and for good reason, because it has historically been kind of one of the easiest to service and most reliable setups out there. And, you know, you can kind of customize it with different ratchets with different numbers of teeth and that sort of thing. Um, it certainly, there certainly are lots of reasons why people would want to emulate that. Um, so the DT Swiss has, seems like they're in kind of a bind um, in the sense that they are now they're now in this position of having all of this historical goodwill and reputation and everything. But now it's like, how do you figure out how to retain all this customer, all these customers? And how do you figure out how to maintain your market share in general when everyone else suddenly is able to do the same sort of driver mechanism that you've had? Um, and so they've, they've been pretty busy lately. One of the things that they came out with is uh, a ratchet upgrade, and they're calling it the Ratchet LN kit. Um, so DT's lower end hubs, I guess it's the 370, and, and is there anything below the 370? I mean, it's just a lot of OE hubs. Yeah, yeah I mean, just the 370, I think, is the same bit. Yeah. So, I mean, DT's lower end hubs, instead of having two ratchet rings that rotate against each other, they have these cheaper ones have a more traditional Paul setup. And uh, because of the modular way that DT Swiss hubs are made, now what you can do is you have this kit that you can remove that old Paul-style driver ring in the hub shell and replace it with uh, a star ratchet setup. And you can also just add on this new free hub body that lets you convert those hubs into a proper star ratchet. And just to be clear, you've always been able to do that before. But the issue before is because those cheaper hubs have the free hub body seal built into the free hub body if you were to slap on a star ratchet free hub body before you basically had no seal or like, I guess not a good one unless you kind of like cobbled something together. So now you have an official kit where there's a seal built into that new retrofitted free hub body. Uh, and you have all those benefits of the star ratchet setup in your older or lower end DT Swiss hub without having to buy a whole new wheel, which I think that's probably going to be the target market for that is, is OE wheels that came with that cheaper, cheaper body that now you're going to be able to upgrade. Yeah. Um, it, and I would have to think that it's going to be a lot of e-bike customers just with so much more torque going through those lower end hubs. I would have to think that they're just ripping through free hub body guts. Be interesting for the e-bike because DT make it e-bike specific steel free hub body that doesn't have the seal on the free hub body. So it'll be interesting if they make this upgrade kit with a specific e-bike version as well. Well, they do offer it in steel and aluminum. So that might be the case. Perfect. So... Yeah, kind of, kind of interesting. Um, the other thing DT Swiss released was um, they've lowered uh, their new EXP Star Ratchet, which is kind of a, a lighter, simpler version of their Star Ratchet design, which kind of merges. It kind of integrates one of the two Star Ratchets into the into the freer body, and then um, has just a single loose piece with with spring with a spring. Uh, they've moved that down to the three fifty level, so that technology will most likely find itself on a whole bunch of mid-range, mid to higher end range bikes now. Yeah. I mean, 350 hubs are like the best bang for your buck out there. Yeah. Well, and and now with the improvements that they've made, I mean, the, the bodies are machined, you know, the hub shells are, are machined a little bit more than they used to be. Uh, and with some of the other internal changes, uh, I mean, they're, they're now, the, the new 350 now is lighter than the old, pre ratchet exp 240 hubs mm. and as far as i can tell i don't That's think cool. the pricing has changed so yeah definitely in terms of value they're it's still amazing and then they come with um they used to come with like the 18 tooth star ratchet stock which had like a glacially slow 20 degree engagement speed and now they're coming with 36 tooth ratchets so it's 10 degrees which is still not best in class but it's a lot better than it used to be um those 350 hubs certainly have a lot going for them um with that Ratchet EXP hub setup that you mentioned, though, 
I mean, there there are definite reasons why DT Swiss went to that. I mean, it was they're able to kind of push that drive side main bearing outboard to get better bearing life um, because of the way they kind of like hogged out the backside of that of that ratchet ring and the way they integrated that into the hub shell. Um, there have been some reports, however, on I think the Weight Weenies Forum and the MTBR Forum uh, from some users that have reported their new Ratchet EXP hubs to spontaneously stop engaging, uh, occasionally in mid-sprint, which is not, not good. Not good. Um, so, no. So this is seemingly due... A, it, we don't have an official answer from DT Swiss on this yet. I'm supposedly getting one by the end of the week. Um, but based on some videos and uh, other accounts that I've seen, it seems to be due to some binding in that single sliding ratchet ring, uh, the one that's in the free hub body. Uh, and when that thing binds up even just a little bit, essentially what you have is just, you know, ratchet teeth that just don't see each other or don't see each other enough so that they actually engage. And then you have that slipping. Um, so yeah, I'm still waiting to hear what the deal is from DT Swiss. So stay tuned on that. But, uh, that's not really great news from DT Swiss because again, like one of their hallmarks has been just this stellar, stellar hub reliability. And, the last thing, like the absolute last thing they want to see is some sort of durability related issues with their new design. Yeah, it doesn't, from from the videos I've seen, it it looks, it doesn't look like a design issue. It looks like a manufacturing tolerances issue, right? Like it looks like that ratchet ring is getting bound up in a, in a free hub body that might be, you know, the tolerances might be too tight for that ratchet ring. So probably, yeah, so it's really not a good thing to be happening, but it does look quite solvable. Yeah, I think so. Because way, way back in the day, before it was DT Swiss, the, those old Hugie hubs, I mean, those used a you know, the hub that all the DT Swiss hubs were based on way back in the day. Um, I mean, those hubs did have two ratchet rings, but they also only had one spring for a really long time. Um, so yeah, like you said, Dave, I mean, there shouldn't, there shouldn't be any sort of inherent design reason why these new ratchet EXP hubs should have any issue. Um, and I guess it's worth mentioning that, um, Zach, I don't know about you, but Dave, I know you and I have ridden ratchet, newer ratchet EXP wheels a fair bit now at this point, since they came out, um, neither of us have had any issues, but again, those are that's a swapping sample size of two. Yep. The one, the one d- obvious downside that I will say that both you and I have experienced. Oh, they're, so Zach, loud. they're so loud. They're so yeah. loud. They're so yeah. loud. Yeah. Like on a mountain bike, I'm okay with loud hubs, but on a road bike, I want to be able to have a conversation with the person next to me. Yeah, well, you just have to keep pedaling, Zach. Yeah, yeah, and and <laughs> it's a shame. Chat on the yeah. way down. It's a shame because the original Star Ratchet was something that you'd put customers onto and you'd recommend to people when they complained about you know stuff like Hope Hubs or or Industry Nine or Chris King being oh, Chris too King. loud. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, oh well, DT Swiss is kind of like a middle ground between you know Shimano quiet and loud, and now now DT Swiss is just loud again. I mean, I feel like they could. They could fix that on the roadside if they had an option for like an 18 tooth ratchet. Yeah. Like just so it's not clacking against each other as much. Yeah. But yeah, they're really loud. I mean, it, <laughs> obnoxiously it was, loud. It was almost like T- DT Swiss kind of took the whole like, oh, Chris King, you want to make, you want to play up your whole Angry Bees on thing? Here, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Too many brands are doing that right now. They're very loud. So, I mean, who who does still make a really quiet free hub? I mean, Shimano. Shimano, yeah. Shimano does. Uh, Camping Yellow does, actually. Um, Mavic? Mavic's Mavic's the same pretty... as, like, DT, though. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That, that new the... ID360 thing is yeah. basically, this. it's a star ratchet. Yeah, yeah. the DT knockoff. Um, hmm. So, Slim Shimano pickings. and Camping. And, and... Uh, what's, the, what's the clutch hub? What's the one I'm trying to Onyx. Do? Onyx. Oh, yeah, that there one's dead silent. Yeah. That one's Ste- really cool. Very heavy, though. Yeah. Very heavy. Very heavy. Yeah. I mean, they have, like, I've built a set of wheels with their road version, which was a decent amount lighter, but yeah, still heavier than like any other hub. But, but yeah, I mean, if, if your free hub is making all that noise, how are you supposed to hear the whole bzz bzz thing when you yeah, have your right. electronic shifting? Hmm. Although, I guess at that point, I mean, you're pedaling, like, you're not supposed to be coasting right. when you're shifting. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're two, they're two very different events. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, and then, well, then you 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 know pair that you know pair that on top of the the buzz from your from your electronic drivetrain or from your uh, from your e bike drivetrain. Mm. You still get some like little cards in our spokes. That would make more noise. Connected to a battery. Yeah, connected to. I would like an electronic card in my spokes. But it would have to have like a little optical sensor instead of like a little baseball card. Yeah. So like you know the the optical sensor would would trigger every time it sees a spoke and then it would have to emit a little digital beep and that has to have a rechargeable Sounds lithium ion great. battery. I'm yep. sure. More I'm sure we'll see a right? um, a cycling specific white noise machine come out soon enough. Uh, I, did, I did see a meme today that was. Like I a, saw that too. The bell. The, the, yeah, <laughs> the <access> bell. <laughs> 
Oh, it was so good. Yeah. What was it like 500 dings per, per charge or something yeah, like that? Like $400. Oh, it was amazing. It was so good. So good. Oh, there's so many good meme accounts going on right now. Okay. Finally, on the news front, we have talked an awful lot about chain lube and waxing and cleaning, all, all that sort of stuff. It's, I, I dare say, it is the golden age. It, the, the golden age of, of drivetrain, of drivetrain uh, treatments. Coined it. Mm hmm. And Silka is getting further and further into the game. Uh, and they're going after basically all of the Watts because they have this new chain treatment that they're offering to people that includes diamonds, like actual real diamonds. So, Dave, this one is all you. What are we talking about here? Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're going after the pre-wax chain market, which uh, I guess uh, Ceramic Speed's UFO chain is currently the benchmark in or was the benchmark in. And Silka's come out with a chain that they're, they're basically doing... They believe everything that Ceramic Speed is doing with the preparation of those chains, sort of like a wear in on a on a on a um, a drivetrain um, simulated machine and uh, four stage ultrasonic cleaning and ultrasonic uh, embedded wax. Um, but Silka's adding seventy two hour polish in a diamond slurry into the mix, and what they claim is that that sort of changes the surface material. And that surface material then becomes uh, the peaks and troughs, I guess, of the of the surface become far smoother. And then they they match that with a, a low friction additive that's uh, best. So your chain comes worn out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not worn out. It's it's bedded in. Bedded okay. in. Um, but yeah, and then Silk is claiming that they're matching that with their their um, tungsten disulfide. Um, additive that's that sort of better matches the profile of that material to to create ultimate smoothness the outcome is like uh they're claiming it's 0.7 of a watt faster at 250 watts versus ceramic speeds ufo chains talk about marginal gains marginal 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 like this this treatment in particular obviously has pretty much zero real world implications for normal people mm-hmm. um but, you know, Dave, I know you talked with Josh Portner from Zip a couple of days ago, and I ended up talking to him, I think, maybe just a day or two before that. From Silka uh, these days? Wait, what did I say? Zip. Which is also oh, yeah. correct. Oh, did I say Zip? <laughs> I oh, did. man. I didn't catch that. <laughs> God, wow. And that was, like, totally self-conscious. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so anyway, I had a conversation with, with, conversation with Josh Portner from Silka. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Um, and I mean, he, he did mention that, you know, one of his biggest customers for this thing right now have been pro teams mm-hmm. that, you know, they certainly do have a, an interest in saving every single last watt or fraction of a watt that they possibly can. Uh, and he said that a lot of these pro teams that are buying these chains from him are ones that are sponsored by other people. Yeah. We're not yeah. really getting I mean, I like have said this multiple times. I'm not pro wax chain, but if you're going to wax a chain and to do it to save watts, I'm all for that. For like yeah. a certain level of racer. Yeah. Oh, I do want to ask you about this this sort of thing though, Zach, because I I, I know you know we, I think we've established very clearly how you feel about the whole chain waxing thing, but um, you know, fully acknowledging the the fact that a lot of people, if they try to do their whole chain wax treatment at home in like a DIY fashion, a lot of people do get it wrong. Yeah. No question. Yep. And That's why I don't seemingly like it. seen all of them. <laughs> Um, but if someone purchases a pre-treated chain from someone, be it, you know, zero friction, um, or Silka or whoever, yeah, I'm, do you have, do you feel better about that at that point? Because then at that point, I mean, it seems like the biggest think, issue is if people don't your chains well, then you have a consumer the and you are going to ride a chain that's waxed, that is the best way to start. Like then you're not reliant on your local shop doing the process right. Or you buying all the equipment to do it right. It's like just takes that variable out and then you just can use a drip to keep it going. Yeah. But with this new Silka chain that comes slightly pre-worn out, like then that negates the argument of having wax on your drivetrain to prolong the life of the drivetrain. So like to me, this chain is a very slim market. Yeah. I mean, Josh, uh, Josh Borton is still claiming that even though it might measure slightly worn, I mean, we're talking about like 0.05% wear on a chain when you, you know, so it's, maybe at most 10% of the way to when you'd ideally replace it. Um, he's still claiming that you'll get about 25,000 K out of this thing. If you, if you keep it waxed, it's a very bold claim. 25,000 kilometers is a very long time. It's a bold claim, but it's, it's been, 
it's been at least backed by, say, zero friction cycling has sort of proven that that is possible by waxing these chains. I feel like if you're going to make a claim that far out, just like this will go 50,000 kilometers. Just like do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to wear out so many other things on your bike in that time. And it's, yeah, I don't know. This That's, chain will last forever. Yeah, like no one's going to get one chain for the life of their entire bicycle. Like that's just absurd. Well, yeah. I mean, you could, it could be the start of like an heirloom chain sort of thing where like it's the chain that you hand <laughs> down to your, your kids. Children. <laughs> like this is your grandpa's 12 yeah. speed chain back in the day. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in theory, if you like, if you took the chain off every like 50 kilometers and you rewaxed it and went through the bed in process again, it probably would last forever. But the, yeah, real world, that's not. <laughs> it's like, never going to, no one's ever going <laughs> to yeah. do that, but it's just, yeah. Yeah. But what you could have now, in addition to the to the SRAM Axis wireless bell, you now could have, you know, maybe powered by that same battery, you could have like a mini crock pot on your bike with a little, oh, yeah. little container, a little yep. container of wax. It's saving so many watts. Yeah. So like, you know, while, while you're riding that however, however many hundred K or whatever that, that you have that sort of optimal setup. Wasn't, there was a company that like, yep. I can't remember if it was a GoFundMe or something, but there was like, had a thing that had a lube in it and then a hose to go the to your chain oh yeah 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 automatically it wasn't even a kickstarter it was an actual product it was a product i'm trying to remember the company so they're, they're big in the motorcycle world they're they're very profitable in the motorcycle world and they invested very not profitable in the bike world no they invested a ton into cycling they are actually one of the only companies in the world that have a a machine equivalent to what ceramic speed used to what friction facts use it's like a $30,000 friction testing machine. Um, yeah, I think they're only like one of four people that have it, one of four companies that have it. And uh, yeah, they they spent a huge amount of money on that, but I think they've let that product sit for a while because I think they realized that uh, bicycles are not motorcycles. Yeah, I think if they could integrate it into the frame so you couldn't see it, then we'd, then we'd have some, like someone would want it. Or, you know, integrate a little <laughs> reservoir into the electronic rear derailleur and have a had like a, a special button push, like, you know, yes. left, left, right, right, up, down, up, down, <laughs> where like at that point it automatically dispense like a tiny little bit of lube on your chain. Yep. Right? Like th- these are bicycles. They should be simple machines. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you wouldn't be into that idea, I would Zach? not be into oh, it. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. That's that's enough of the news. Let's get into something, some more fun discussion here because we have not done a what bike should I buy segment in quite a while. Uh, we've kind of just had a lot of other things going on. But one came in the other day that actually looks like it's going to be really fun to talk about because as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it is always, you know, while bikes for people with more reasonable budgets, it's obviously kind of what people are actually buying. Let's get real. It is more fun to talk about bikes when someone's talking about a very flexible budget. Uh, so this one comes in from Jim Yokoi. Uh, Jim lives in Newport Beach, California. He rides several weeks out of the year in Park City, Utah as well. Uh, rides quite a lot, actually. He does uh, apparently over 10,000 miles per year consistently. Um, he does a, a bunch of longer one-day road events and Grand Fondos. Uh, I would have to assume he's quite fit. Um, Got quite the collection of bikes already right now. He owns a specialized S-Works Tarmac SL7 uh, and an S-Works Venge, both with NV carbon wheels, of course. Uh, he also has an S-Works Epic Evo and a Pivot Switchblade, and he is in the process of ordering a Pivot Trail 429, which may replace the Epic Evo, but I'm going to guess probably not. Um, anyway, budget is clearly not really that big of a deal for Jim. More power to you, Jim. i I, 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 I honestly, sincerely wish I was in that position because this is going to be fun. Um, Jim, however, is looking for his first gravel bike in the hopes of doing events like Belgian Waffle Ride and the Wasatch All Road. Um, he said he wants something uh, fast, fun, and comfortable. Uh, and as you, again, have guessed, given his current stable, yeah, he budget's not really an issue. His current shortlist clearly reflects that. He's looking at... Uh, and this list is, is not, uh, is not limited to this anyway. He's looking at things like a Moots route RSL or an open upper or Cervelo Aspero or specialized diverge and Ibis Haka. It's pretty, pretty good list. Um, he is willing to wait quite a while for this thing. He's willing to wait months. He said to get what he calls his dream bike. What should Jim buy? And let's, let's just ignore the realities of availability right now. Let's just say he could get whatever he wants. Yeah. There are no bikes to buy right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. 
All right, I, I'm, I'm going to go first here because just looking at the collection of bikes that he has now, I think it's safe to say that Jim is a pretty big fan of carbon fiber. My guess is that he is quite drawn to just kind of like the performance aspects of things. It doesn't really strike me as like a, you know, classic steel or, um, I mean, yes, he did mention titanium, but all of his bikes are carbon right now. Um he, to me at least, also doesn't seem particularly all that interested in like like a forever bike kind of thing because all of his bikes are pretty new. Um, none of the bikes that he has are like, you know, oh, I have this Moots Hardtail from 10 years ago that I love, that sort of thing. Um, so for me, if I were Jim and budget was not really an issue, I would be really tempted, I know we just talked about this, but I would still be really tempted to go with the standard Cervelo Aspero, not the Aspero 5, um, That's what I was going to say. Yeah, and then outfitted with, like, if you if you set that up really well, like that that bike is fast by itself. It's not particularly comfortable. However, because it uses a standard twenty seven point two millimeter seat post, you have a lot of options as far as how to add some comfort out back. Because there are a lot of options now for like you know particularly flexi carbon posts. Um, my favorite one is still that old uh, Ergon slash Canyon kind of leaf spring parallelogram sort of setup. It's not very heavy. You can still get them in Germany, I think, uh, and they do work pretty well. Um, and then adding a redshift shock shop, yeah, a redshift sports shock stop stem up front, especially if he's really is planning on doing a fair bit of gravel, because um, then at that point you do get the benefits of that kind of light-ish, seemingly aero-ish frame, really good handling, uh, but now with a lot more comfort. And then I would probably stick on there a SRAM Red Axis Two by Group Set um, because it's it's pretty reasonably light. Um, it, it, it works really well in that, that group set, I would say for a gravel bike, you know, regardless of what losses there may be from the smaller chain rings and that 10 tooth sprocket out back and whatever, the bigger benefit I think in that category would be that really nice, uh, range of gearing that you can get. Um, and then, you know, as for wheels, I don't know, like those NV 3.4 ARs seem like a pretty good choice, at least for an all road Sounds setup. Sounds like a nice bike minus the stem. You're not a fan <laughs> of the stem, huh? <laughs> not a fan. I mean, the, the, all right, the, the stem doesn't look great for sure, but it, it does work awful. really well. It works really Just well. Just let like three PSI out of your tires. What if you don't want to let three PSI out of your tires? He's 180 pounds. He's going to be running gravel. He maybe doesn't want to run that low. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Zach, you're, you're what, like 6'2", like 140 pounds or whatever. Like we're not no. all built like you. No. <laughs> all right, so, but Zach, you think, that you think an Aspro would be a good setup for him too? I mean, I think first of all, it's like, the range of bikes that he picked are pretty wide, like narrow down what kind of gravel riding you're going to do. Is it like mostly road that you occasionally hop on some dirt roads or do you need like the upper, which has clearance to fit mountain bike tires on it or like suspension, like the diverge, like what kind of riding are you doing? If it's mostly like, where is he at again? Uh, he's in Newport beach and he also spends time in park city. I mean, I don't really I've only ridden mountain bikes in Park City and not in anything in Newport Beach. Um, but like, yeah, I'd figure out what kind of riding you're going to do and then kind of go from there. And then like, yeah, what kind of bike do you want? Do you want something that's fancy? Like you threw this Moots in there. That's what's throwing me off is the Moots. Because it's like, very different from all the other bikes. That very are different. And like, if you're feeling metal curious, then I would definitely lean that way. Um, it's probably quicker to get one of those bikes anyways than one of the carbon bikes that's coming from Asia like right now, really that were ordered uh, two years ago. Yeah. Like real realistically, like it's probably easier to get a custom metal bike. Um, yeah. I mean, otherwise like, yeah, I think the Aspera is really good or yeah, I probably wouldn't do the upper just like you don't need that, that much tire. Like if you need that much tire then just ride a mountain bike. But I like, I mean, if it's no budget, I would probably go with like an, either an Aspera or like a normal open, not the no the upper is the nice one i'm confused i was thinking about the wide definitely don't do the wide yeah the open wide is the wide yeah one. sorry yep. i was yeah the upper is just like the, the, the upper is the version. yeah the light one i would do that probably and like because there's no budget get it custom painted make it look super cool and then because then he asked about one or two by and then i would say like what kind of train are you riding again is it if it's like more on the road side of things then i would probably go for a double so you have that tighter range cassette and then otherwise like yeah one by is pretty sweet it just makes things really simple for gravel riding but, and I would probably, the one by I would do SRAM just because you get that massive range with the cassette. With the mullet setup. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
I, I mean, I guess t- t- just to point out, I mean, he did say that this is going to be his first gravel bike. Yeah, I mean, it's like a pretty wide range of things that he he has here. So, I like, what brands do you like? What what brands spark joy and make you excited? Right? Like, spark pick joy, pick that Marie one. Condo. Yeah, exactly. Just like if you see a bike, like it's no, there's no budget. Like if this bike excites you, then get that one because it's gonna, like no one makes bad bikes these days. Yeah. Uh, for me. It's a tough one, but it, what's pretty obvious is that he doesn't want a quiver killer because he's got a whole quiver of bikes, yeah. including yeah. some More, very yes. good, very capable road bikes that could be taken on very smooth gravel roads if he wanted to. Um, so for me, this is like a real dedicated gravel bike that, you know, its sole purpose is to go fast on gravel. And what threw me is the is the the request for fun and comfort. And for me, the as good as the Cervelo Espero is, and as much as I love that new Espero 5, it's still not the most comfortable bike. Uh, and looking at his other bikes... No, that's, why you, that's why you put the redshift stem on the on there in the Flexi C-Post. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, and <man>. then, <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, for me, looking at his other bikes, I mean, I, I just immediately thought, why not just keep it in the S-Works family, you know? Three S works. Uh, why not make it four? Future Shock, though, you don't need but that. But that, that's that's, so that's the whole purpose. Like personally, I don't like the Future Shock because it's another moving component that you're gonna have to worry about in two or three years. It time. does work though. It works, but quite it well, works actually. brilliantly well. And this guy clearly doesn't mind having some some features. Like he's got it. He owns a brain rear shock at the moment. You know, like he's but he's probably me, used to those service bills. So I think Jim would probably really like the S works Diverge. It's just terrible. You don't need that suspension there. It does work. Like he has multiple mountain bikes, so he know he theoretically should know how to ride a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he doesn't he doesn't a lot. need that. Yeah, unless he's just riding like pure washboard roads, then like I don't see any other purpose for that future shock. I think I think it makes a difference on on a longer ride. The the reduced fatigue it provides it it does have benefit as much as as much <sighs> as it pains me to say. I think I think that could be a really great. If bike I was going to stick it. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to keep it in S-Works family as well. I'm going to say S-Works Crux because that is Specialized's best gravel bike. That is basically like a tarmac, fits big tires, is crazy light, and it feels like a road bike. just like super simple, no frills, really good bike. But is it comfortable? Yeah, it's plenty comfortable. It's comfortable enough. You can fit big tires on it. All right. Has a 27-2 seat post. The The other one that came to mind was the BMC Urs. Uh, for me, but then that's he, he the whole debate. He doesn't strike me as a BMC Urge guy. He has mountain yeah. bikes. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's uh, I really like that bike. But the the limit of one buy is a is a is an issue, and I think that might be the what the reason to keep it off the list. But uh, yeah. it is it is a comfortable bike that can be ridden really fast on when things get a bit rough. So the one thing I will also add, um, having ridden a bunch of the bikes that are on this list, um, while I think my first choice for Jim would be that Aspero, and again, the regular one, not the five with the whole integrated front end and everything, um, that route, that Moots route RSL that I tested, I don't know, I guess a couple of years ago now, it, it still is one of the bikes that has left the biggest impression on me. Um, I mean, I know it is heavier than a carbon bike and i know it's not aero like something that has kind of like more profile tubes and everything um and you know again i don't i don't know jim if you are interested in sort of a quote unquote forever bike I mean, the moots is on your list um i hate the term forever bike i know because there's no such thing it's just so no, silly it's no um, such thing and 10 years from now you're not going to be able to get parts that fit on this frame especially true, for gravel true. which is moving so fast at the moment yeah 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 it's for sure yeah. but that that route RSL though I will say it had one of the absolute nicest ride qualities of any gravel bike I had been on in so long of any material. Um, no, it is not the lightest. No, it is not necessarily the stiffest or whatever. But like you said earlier, Dave, I mean when you're riding on gravel, ride quality does matter a lot, and it's just like cyclocross where you know the the lightest, stiffest, most aero thing is not necessarily the fastest if it beats the crap out of you and you're not able to continue to put power down. Uh, one of the things that was really nice about that Moots is because it was so it was just so super smooth. You could just keep pedaling all day, and you just felt felt fresh all day. Um, you can get it custom anodized or painted. You can have you it. You can get soft tail. You could. Can you get that in a route now? I'm sure. Like it's custom. It's metal welded in. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I don't. Hmm, I'll have to look into that. I'm not sure you can get that on the RSL. But I feel like that would be silly if you couldn't. If someone's like, I will give you an extra five hundred dollars for you to weld this little squishy bit in. 
And they said, no, that would be the dumbest thing. You know, I, I think if, if they don't offer it already, I think Moots actually would say no because, you know, having been there and seeing how their whole thing is set up, I mean, they're kind of like, they're kind of almost like semi-mass production because of the way yeah, they have all their true. jigs and everything done. But money is no object. Like, you can throw some money at Moots and they'll weld one of these in. So if it's more like, you know, will, will you weld one of those things in for like an extra $1,000? Moots would probably say yes to that. Yeah, why not? But I, but again, I don't know if you'd want then, that. I mean, that bike rides pretty smooth no, already. As an owner of a titanium bike, I fully support this decision. But it seems like he likes plastic bikes that are fast and light. He does seem to like plastic bikes. So, um, so yes, the fast, fun, and comfortable thing. Fast, I mean, the Aspero definitely qualifies. Um, comfortable, I think, if you build up that bike properly with some smart parts and especially some some good tires and you know proper cockpit selection, that bike can be pretty comfortable. Um, I would argue that bike is pretty fun too. I mean, it's not like your, mm. it's not like a like a rowdy single track kind of gravel I mean, bike. But sort if of it's thing, less but comfortable, fun, the the gravel trend is like you want to be underbiked to make it more fun. So like if you have this bike that's uncomfortable and you go ride it on some rough trail, therefore it's going to be more fun. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess like the, the whole the, trail donkey thing. I know, but the un, the underbike <laughs> thing is like I hate it's it. fun to a point. Just, yeah, it's underbike. Being underbiked is fun to a, a point. What's yeah. way more fun is having just the right bike for whatever you happen to be riding at that Correct. point. Yeah. yeah, fun um, fun ends when you can feel your eyeballs rattling out of your <laughs> out of your head. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of permanent damage. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of type one fun like stuff that's fun right now as opposed to like oh you know looking at looking back at it four years from now and be like oh actually yeah that was kind of fun i would do that yeah. again and then you go do it again you're like oh that's why i haven't right. done this in four exactly, years exactly <laughs> exactly exactly so i i am definitely much more a fan of type one fun so i don't know i mean have have we i mean i guess we've kind of narrowed this down a little bit i mean zach and i it sounds like Correct. our first choice is uh yeah so my first choice is an aspero Zach's first choice is a crux, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then my first choice is a diverge. So, kind of a little Pick bit all over the place. I think all, mm. I, at least James and I, I feel like we would also be team moots. Yes, yes, that would be that would be a very very strong like one and a half place choice for me. Yeah, yeah, and and that the moots would be the only one that I'd be jealous of out of out yes. of that list, right? Like if I saw it in a group, it's it's the only bike that I'd actually you know really yes. want to talk about. And realistically, again, I mean, if, if we do apply the whole availability thing onto this whole thing now, out of everything on this list, I mean, there's a really good chance that that actually may be the only bike on his list that he's able to buy. Not t- yeah, he might not be able to get parts for it, but he can get the frame. Yeah, yeah, that frame would look sweet on a wall. <laughs> for, for the year or however long it takes him to get parts to put on it. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Bike industry crushing the inventory game right now. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess that's sort of our our advice for Jim. Jim, I don't know if that really kind of all, all over the place. It's kind of all over the place, but I, I th- hopefully that was still helpful to a certain degree. I mean, yeah. Help. Pick pick the one that excites you the most. That's what I would say, and the one that you can get. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it sounds like Jim. If if this is your first gravel bike, if you haven't done a whole lot of gravel riding, I think you will figure out pretty quickly what type of gravel riding you really want to do, uh, and that's something that might influence your decision a little bit. Just put some 30 mil tires on your tarmac and go mm. be gravel curious. I'm pretty sure that tarmac can fit 32s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen someone, yeah, put 32s on it. Go try some gravel. See if you like it. I think Kaylee how, put like... How th- gravelly you want to get. I think Kaylee put like 35s on that Venge that he had, didn't he? Yeah, the Venge has more clearance than the tarmac. Oh, that seems silly. But there's a funny story about that. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> huh. Mm, maybe maybe not. It. Okay. Basically, there is, a, there is an intern. This is... I don't work at Specialized, so this is a story that I've heard from someone. There was an intern that was doing the drawings on that, and they made it have more clearance than they meant to. And then it got sent to, like, somehow no one looked at that, and then it got sent to production. And it passed enough steps that then people were like, oh, no one's going to buy this bike because it has so much clearance. And then it happened to be, like, right as everyone on road bikes had more bigger tires. <laughs> They're like, oh, this intern accidentally messed up but made us a lot of money. Right, and now the intern is the director of design. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, funny story. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I wonder if we. So can that's why the bench has that. more clearance than the tarmac. Hmm. It's too bad that intern didn't work on the tarmac as well. Right. Hmm. Little did little did we know. Little did we know. Yep. All right. Well, that is our show for today. I hope you found that pretty fun and enjoyable, maybe even a little bit informative. Uh, Thanks for listening. As always, if you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing if you haven't already. More importantly, 
please tell your friends about Nerd Alert so more people can hear the show. Leave us a comment uh, if you are subscribed on iTunes. Um, and if you have any suggestions for a future What Bike Should I Buy episode or uh, for an upcoming Ask a Mechanic segment, feel free to send them in. Uh, we can be found. Our contact information is on cyclingtips.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at, at @angryasian, um, And then we'll kind of just go from there. And we'll see how long Kaylee's out for, I think. Yeah, who knows? Two or three weeks probably is a, is a is safe bet. And then we'll see how much longer. We'll see how tired he is, too, when he yeah. comes back. I'm excited because Kaylee's usually slightly faster than me. So I think you're going to have the upper edge on Well, you, you're going to have to be careful, though, because I, I will say from, from firsthand experience, that if you are looking to kind of get your comeuppance on on Kaylee in his you know new dad mode, what you're going to want to do is make sure you can get him out on a longer ride yeah, because I mean, the, he'll have dad watts. Right? He will definitely have dad watts, and like for that power hour that he's going to be able to get out for a little while, he's going to be just throwing down. Yeah, but if you can get him out, like I'm a, I'm hoping it's similar to post Kaylee getting home from tour. Kaylee, oh, could like, be, could be, doesn't have fitness. Yeah, and so you just get him out for a longer ride, and that's when you can really crush him. Yeah. but So, sorry, Kaylee. It sounds like Zach's going for you. So, yep. we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, that's all we have for you again today. See you next week. See ya.